Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Good morning. It's good to be here and have the opportunity to share with you again. I, uh, I believe that the church today is in an interesting place in our, in our culture. I don't, I don't think people understand who we are. I think they look at us like uh, you all meet on Sundays. You, you, you're all about meetings. You do this, and sometimes you have other meetings, and you have other activities. And so we almost look like, to the outside, uh, kind of a social club. We get together and, and, and meet. And as long as you don't uh, say anything you shouldn't, you're okay. I, I understand that from outsider's perspective. What bothers me is when that's the same perspective we sometimes have. See, if we're not careful, we can begin to look at ourselves as a group of people who meet. We meet on Sundays, and occasionally we have other gatherings, and we have some small groups, and we have some activities, and, and that's who we are. That's what we do. That, that describes us and defines us. As a matter of fact, because we couldn't meet for some time this year, a lot of the church just dropped off. And that tells me we really were pretty much meeting-focused rather than what we really are. You see, what we really are are a group of people who want to hang around Jesus. We're a group of people who have fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Our faith is about a relationship with a person, the person of Jesus Our meetings, our activities, the things we do are important, but they're an outgrowth of that. They're a result of our relationship with the person of Jesus. If we get that wrong, things don't always go very well. So today is really about restoring, renewing, focusing again on cultivating that relationship, that that intimacy that we can have with the Lord in prayer. I think it's important for us to understand that, that that desire to be with God is a desire that is put within us from the God who, first of all, wanted that relationship. He's the one who desires that. I want to go to the beginning, and I mean the beginning. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, walking in the cool of the evening with God. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's really hard for us to even picture Adam and Eve walking with God face to face. You see, God made us for that. He prepared this place called Eden as a place of intimate fellowship, of relationship with his creation. We don't know exactly how long that lasted, but you know the story. Sin entered in, and man exited. Mankind was expelled from the garden, and that intimate fellowship, that face-to-face fellowship was severed. Here's what I want to tell you, and I believe this with all my heart. The rest of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is about how God worked to restore that severed fellowship to bring us back into relationship, into an intimate relationship with our Creator. 
to the point that God himself took on human flesh and died on a Roman cross outside Jerusalem so that you and I can be brought back. Back, in, not to a meeting, but back into a fellowship, a, an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's ultimately what prayer is about. That's what our faith is about. It's about restoring that sort of a relationship. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I see something like that, I immediately look biblically for a model. I, I need someone who's living that out. I need someone who knows what that is. And the Bible is filled with men and women who understood their relationship with God as intimacy, as fellowship, as relationship. But the person that, to me, stands head and shoulders above the rest is David. Now, I think the reason I love David is because he took so many of his prayers and wrote them down, and we have them in the book of Psalms. And so we get to see David with all of his flaws. He's not a perfect man. Oh, my, he is so far from it. But he's someone who passionately loves the Lord. And you see that in his prayer life. You see at times when he's passionately loving God, and you see it when he's angry with God. It's very, very honest as you read through the Psalms and you see David desiring intimacy with his God. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 63 for just a few minutes. Psalm 63 is one of those Psalms that, which tells me why God would say of David, here is a man after God's own heart. And for me, it shows me how to pray. Prayers of intimacy, prayers that draw me near to God. And so I want to look at this psalm, Psalm 63. We're going to start in verse 1 and go down, not through the whole psalm, but probably through verse 8 or 9. Here's this prayer of David, the man after God's own heart. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I stay close to you. Your right hand upholds me. When's the last time you prayed like that? When's the last time you laid down your prayer list and you just said, oh God, you are my God. This is a powerful prayer of a man who in spite of the difficulties around him, in spite of the fact that his family was filled with, with difficult times and horrible issues, 
times he lived in the midst of rebellion against his leadership. But in the midst of all of that, he never let go of God. He kept pursuing this intimate relationship with him. And we can learn from his prayer. The first thing that I see, that's very obvious, in a sense it's, it's the whole prayer, but there are other things. But it begins certainly with an expression of desire. David saying, I want to know you. Yes, I know you, but I want to know you more. I want to press in. I want to begin to know you beyond any place that I've ever been before. And what he does is so helpful. What David does is he, he puts this expression of desire in human natural terms. He doesn't just leave it out here in the spirit. He brings it to the flesh because we can understand this. He describes his desire for God as, as a hunger or, or as a thirst. And we know what it's like to be hungry, right? You know, maybe you're starting to get hungry now. <laughs> Your stomach's growling a little bit. You're thinking, ah, you know, an Egg McMuffin would taste good right now. Okay. We start to think about things and we start to get hungry. And we understand hunger. Even more so, I think we understand thirst. You know what it's like to, to be somewhere and you can't get water. You can't get something to drink. It's just there's nothing around, and, and you're getting more. And, of course, what happens is the more you think about it, the thirstier you get. Isn't that right? Thirstiest I ever remember in my life took place years ago when I was visiting Israel. Uh, we were leading a, a tour group, and we were on top of Masada. Now, Masada is, a, is an unusual uh, small hill, really, that is about that's southeast of Jerusalem, and on the top of it are the ruins of an ancient Herodian fortress. It was built by Herod the Great. And in uh, around 70 AD or so, the Jews rebelled against the Romans. And uh, a group of about 900 Jews came in and snuck up a path and overtook the Herodian fortress and, and had a fortress there. They, had, they, they, they st- hung out there, which was important because the Romans won this battle. They, they destroyed Jerusalem. They killed millions of Jews. And the few that held out were those 900 on top of Masada. Now, our guide was doing a wonderful job. He was explaining history. It was coming alive. <laughs> but all I could think about was a Pepsi. That day on top of Masada was 130 degrees. Now, that's extraordinary even for Israel. They don't normally have temperatures like that, but they had uh, what is called a hamson, but a a, a south wind blew in from the desert, and and it just was devastating. There are no trees on Masada. There's no shade. It's just old rocks and history. And even though the guide was doing that wonderful job, all I could think about was getting a Pepsi. I mean, I'd been there four years earlier, and there was nothing around. It's just out in the desert. But in the ensuing four years, some enterprising entrepreneur had built a refreshment stand at the base, air-conditioned, had Pepsi. And I could not wait to get off of that hill and get something cold to drink. See, that's what thirst does for you. 
Even if things are important going on around you, you want, you want to make sure that your, your thirst is satisfied. And David said, that's how I am with you, God. You're the only one that can satisfy my thirst. Have you ever approached God like that? Have you ever come to God? It's like, God, I am, I am thirsty for you. I need you. There is nothing in this world that's going to satisfy me. I need you. Maybe our prayer this week needs to be, God, make me thirsty. Make me thirsty for you, a thirst that nothing, no one else can begin to to fulfill but you yourself. This prayer is an expression of desire for God himself. David continues on with this prayer, and he talks about remembering times of experiencing God's presence. He says, "I, I beheld you in the sanctuary. I remember seeing your glory. See, what David does is he's thinking back in this prayer to times in which he had encountered God in a spectacular way. And he's saying, I want more of that. Because you see, David is like us. His spiritual life is a a series of ups and downs. There's a tendency for us to look at David or others in the Bible and think, oh yeah, they, they grew spiritually and their growth was just like this, just going straight up. No, 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 no. no. Their growth was like ours. Like this and then like this and then like this and like this. Hopefully it keeps going up, but, but we have down times. We have times when we're not as spiritual. We have times when sin enters in. There's times when we, when we don't have those great encounters with God. And David here is saying, God, I've been up and down. I know I have been, but I remember what it's like to encounter you, to to experience your presence. And I just want you to know, Lord, I want more of that. I I remember what it was like to encounter you in the sanctuary, and I want to be there again. I don't know what your spiritual life has been like, but if it's like all the rest of us, I'm assuming it is, it is a matter of ups and downs. That means you've probably had some times where you've really felt close to the Lord. It, it may have been sitting in here. It may have been in the midst of a worship time. It may be as the word of God was being preached. It may have been somewhere else where somehow you encountered God. Hold on to those. Remember them. And in prayer saying, God, that's what I want. I want to continue to grow. I want to know you better. I want to go back to when I knew you in a better way. And David has this remembrance of God's glory He also talks about prayer as an expression of praise because he understands that as you encounter God, the natural response, I want you to get there, the natural response is praise and worship. When you see God, and I'm not talking about with the eyes, but when you begin to experience him in a special way, when you draw near, the first thing you ought to do is to worship. 
And so you see these sort of phrases coming out, out of David, you know, again and again. He encounters God and he, he worships. Uh, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise, as, praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Everything about David said, I will praise you. You see that in lots of Psalms of David, don't you? As you read through the Psalms, you see David as a man of worship. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Worship together is a wonderful thing. I love it, don't you? It's great to come together. And you guys are blessed. You've got a great worship team. This is a wonderful place to come together and worship. But hear this. This isn't what David was talking about. He wasn't talking about times when uh, the Jews gathered at the tabernacle for some worship time. No, no. He's talking about he and the Lord together. This wasn't, again, for the Jews, a Friday night event. (laughs) This was Monday morning. This was Tuesday afternoon. This was Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. This was a continued sort of thing. It is all through the day. It was a life of worship As you encounter the Lord, worship takes place. And here's what I want to challenge you. This week, look for opportunities every day to worship the Lord. And I'll tell you what will happen. When you come together next Sunday, your worship here will be all the better. Because when you have been worshiping all week long, and each one of you has, and then you come together on a Sunday... Oh, it's awesome. It's powerful. When you have those who've been worshiping God all week long and they come together, that's where this just absolutely moves exponentially beyond anything you've ever experienced. David is talking about bringing worship and prayer into every aspect of your life. And this becomes a part of the prayer of intimacy with those who know God. So David then moves from a time of praise and of worship to what I would call spontaneous times with God. He said, and then this is an unusual part of a prayer. He says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. So David's basically saying, he's just talking to God and saying, I want you to know, Lord, that no matter what time of the day it is, it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing, my thoughts are going to turn to you and I'm going to be aware of your presence. I was sleeping last night, David said. (laughs) He didn't use those phrases, but he basically said, on my bed, I woke up and my thoughts turned to you. I, I heard the watchman cry out and I immediately began to worship you. See, That is the kind of life that's focusing on the presence of the Lord and not dependent on planned services or events. It's a life of intimacy, of fellowship, of knowing the Lord. It is Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden and enjoying the presence of the Lord. Now listen, I believe firmly in, in some discipline in our life. I believe in getting up in the morning and your first times, your first, first moments of the day ought to be focusing on the Lord. 
And I believe in having quiet times. And I most certainly believe in the church coming together, you know, and worshiping. All of those things are important. But my friends, the prayer of intimacy cannot be limited to a schedule. It's life. Some of your greatest encounters with God might be when you're driving. It might be out in the garden. It might be when you're doing dishes. It might be when you're watching television. There can be any sort of thing going on around you, but you are focusing on the Lord in the midst of everyday life, and that's where David was. That's where the man after God's own heart was. He was always looking for the presence of God to interrupt daily life, to encounter the God that he loved. And then in Psalm 63, I find that David has this powerful understanding that when we are intimate intimate with God in prayer, we will have a dependency upon him in everything, in every way. David said to God here in Psalm 63, he said, you are my help. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Your your right hand is literally lifting me up. It's, It's keeping me up. I am dependent upon you. I'm afraid sometimes we we make prayer and our relationship with the Lord more like God is hoping that we'll help him out a little bit. Come on. Don't we sometimes feel that way? God's got a lot to do and he's kind of hoping that maybe you and I will help him a little bit. And he's kind of lonely and he wishes that you'd pray a little bit. You know, we all make it about us and we're doing God a favor. David turned this around and he was accurate. That we have the creator God who is totally, totally content in himself. He does not have a need of us, but we have a desperate need for him. We must be dependent upon him in everything, in every way. David would agree with the statement of Jesus to the apostles and to us, where he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember Jesus saying that? Apart from me, you can do nothing? You know, I know that's true, because I've tried it. I've done a lot of nothing. I've done things in my own strength, just me, and it never amounts to a hill of beans. It never really touches eternity. We need Jesus. And the prayer of intimacy is a prayer of learning to lean back upon the Lord and allow him to hold us up, to lift us up, to cling, that we cling to him. That's what the prayer of intimacy is about. You understand why God would say of David, as you read this psalm, why God would say, David, you are a man after my own heart. You long for me. Now, I want you to understand that Psalm 63 isn't the only one, the main one we're going to look at, but but let me show you one other verse, just one verse of one psalm that just hammers home that point for me with David. It's found in Psalm 27, verse 4. It's a passage that I pray every day. In Psalm 27, verse 4, David comes to God and he says, God, 
there's just one thing I ask of you. Only one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in your house all the days of my life, gazing on your beauty, seeking you in your temple. So I love this. This is, why, this is why God said, this is a man after my own heart. David comes before God and he just says, I only want one thing. It's not money, it's not power, it's not things. What I want, God, is you. You're over here, that, that's where I want to be. I, I want to hang around you. I want to gaze on your beauty. This is a man after God's own heart. He had one thing that he wanted and it was God himself. I have, I've often wondered if in heaven, David of Bethlehem has ever gotten to know Mary of Bethany. She lived about a thousand years after him, but you and I know a bit about Mary. She had a, had a sister named Martha, had a brother named Lazarus. They lived in a, a little village of Bethany. It's kind of a suburb of Jerusalem. And Jesus would often go to their home to stay when he came to minister in Jerusalem. Well, one day, Jesus sent word to Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he was coming for supper. How cool is that? Jesus is coming to your house, and you get to fix supper for Jesus. Of course, the trouble is that Jesus <laughs> never traveled by himself. He had always had these other 12 guys hanging around. Okay, and when you read the Gospels, it typically wasn't just the 12. There were maybe five, eight other people who were also with them. So this now suddenly is a major dinner party of 20 people or so coming for supper. Ladies, you can count on this. Lazarus wasn't going to cook supper. It's just going to be Mary and Martha preparing a meal for Jesus and the apostles and others who were coming. But I think most of you know the story. You know that it, it really wasn't Mary and Martha preparing the meal. It was just Martha in the kitchen. Mary? Mary was over here in the living room, and she was sitting down with the, with the guys, and she was listening to Jesus teach. Martha? Good, good, good-hearted Martha is over in the kitchen. Now, understand, think about this. It's a great privilege to get to cook for Jesus and to get to cook for all 12 of the apostles. I mean, this, this is really an honor, but it's a lot of work. And it seems to me, as I read this story, that the longer Martha cooked, the madder she got. And pretty soon she's banging pots and pans together and finally she's had it. And she comes storming out of the kitchen, whining right up to Jesus. Master, tell my sister to come help me in the kitchen. Jesus turns to Martha. And the words that he speaks to her are, I believe, some of the most radical words in the New Testament. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset over many things. But only one thing is needed. Your sister Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Only one thing is needed. That's the words of Jesus to Martha. 
And the one thing is what Mary was doing. So what was Mary doing? Nothing. I really, she wasn't doing anything. She was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. I have to be perfectly honest with you. Sometimes that really frustrates me. I'm a doer. I want to do things for Jesus. I want to see things happen. But here's my master, my Lord, and he tells me that there's one thing that's needed. There's one thing that's essential. There's one thing you can't miss. And he didn't do anything. It's just hanging around Jesus. It's just being with him. See, Mary of Bethany chose the one thing that's needed. Just like David, a thousand years before, had prayed this powerful prayer, and he says, oh God, there's just one thing that I want from you. I want to dwell in your house. I want to hang around you. If he knew of Mary, he could have said, I want to be like Mary. I want to sit at your feet. I want to listen to you. My friends, that's our faith. That's who we are as believers. Oh, listen, don't don't ever walk out here saying the meetings are unimportant because they're an encouragement, they're a strength, and they, they, they come out of our relationship, but we can't miss the relationship. We can't miss that intimacy with Christ that is the heart of our faith. Jesus said there's just one thing that's needed. Don't miss the one thing. Don't miss that. Here's my challenge this week. Focus on one thing. Not just any old thing. Focus on the one thing. The one thing that's needed. Simply to walk with Jesus. It it may change your prayer life. Of what it means to simply walk with him. To sit down and listen. To be with him. It's what made David. A man after God's own heart. It's what allowed Mary. That awesome privilege of sitting at Jesus' feet. That will change our life this week. And it'll be exciting to come back next Sunday and maybe even share with one another. Let me tell you about what Jesus and I did this week because really, that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing call that you make on our lives to walk with you, to draw near, to dwell in your house, to sit at your feet. Lord, there's so many phrases, but it's all about you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your great love and that you desire even more than we desire for us to walk with you this week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for allowing that. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.